SportsZilla Show starts now. Okay, another car ride, another opportunity to practice my DJ ramp-ups. 95.5 WPET, you got Peter the Riff Griff shocking you and rocking you while I'm sitting here talking to you. It's 75 and sunny, which means our street squad's going to be out looking for them super stickers. If you don't got one, get down to Linoleum Depot this Saturday from 9 to 2. I'll be there hooking you up. Slap one on your car, win 100 bucks. Now I'm looking around and I'm seeing the spin doctors with not one, but two princes. Nailed it. I'm going to throw you now to Weenie in the Butt in the afternoon. Weenie in the Butt in the afternoon. The afternoon. Oh my god. WQHG! Turn it on and rip the knob off. You're listening to the radio. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. I'm going to be able to look at the twitch.tv slash QSports talk camera today and not have some tears in my eyes. So I kind of. Didn't make eye contact with it yesterday. Still kind of having some feelings about Kobe Bryant. We're going to talk to Jim Beheim about that in just a couple of minutes. And our good friend Tim Roy, who is for over a quarter of a century, longtime broadcaster for the Golden State Warriors. He'll join us at about 5.15. But Syracuse has a game tonight, Scoop, as we're also joined by Nick Ailes in the studio today. He's got his Nick sweatshirt on, as usual. Nick in the Knicks gear. We play Clemson tonight. A slight underdog, one-and-a-half-point underdog. Over-under is 134 if you're placing a wager for some reason. I'm anticipating this game. They're on a five-game win streak, 13-7, and 6-3, and three, six straight in ACC play. Things are trending upward. Uh, I mean, they're even getting a little bit of discussion where they're creeping up the rankings a little bit where they might make their presence felt, I would hope. Yeah, interesting in that you're going to see a lot of threes attempted tonight. Hughes attempts a lot. Clemson attempts a lot. Buddy, now, Beheim shooting better inside the arc. Did you see that? I saw that, too, that number. It's like, whoa, really? That is a different story from the beginning part of the season. He's uh, hitting 52.6% of his shots inside the arc over the last five games. His season average is like 41%. He's He's been solid lately. He's just... Something clicked, man, and it's been a, a next level, Buddy Beheim. He's really he's taken on a leadership role. I feel like in this team, or like he just he feels like he belongs now. Not that he didn't before, but the performance leads to confidence. I think he's had some big games. That one stretch where he made eighteen straight points for the team, or was it seventeen somewhere in that vicinity? 18. Yeah, I mean, it's just he's a key component of this team. We we need him. Depend on him. Eli, of course, is another one. Without those guys, without the contributions of Merrick Dolajai, who's doing a little bit of everything, who's really stepped up his game, obviously. And we talked about it before. The the contributions from Barama Sidibe are important, too. When when everybody's chipping in a little bit and basically doing their job or what you expect of them, Syracuse is a factor now for the rest of the season. And, and man, heading into the Duke game, you get a win tonight. Keep that momentum. We talk about that all the time. It's such a key thing. Keep the confidence level high. Man, that circle, that date on Saturday, wow. Clemson struggles in the transition offense. Well, he was pretty good, so that's something to watch tonight. That is something that could be exploited on the part of the Orange, is that Clemson is is not very good at that, and and we could exploit that and obviously take advantage with some some more points there, you know. 
some other numbers that are floating out there. And it's, it's also amazing to me, by the way, the way we analyze basketball nowadays without directly saying analytics, but it's analytics. Whereas before, a few years ago, it was just the eyeball test. That's all you really did or, or you more the insight of those that have necessarily more knowledge of the game. Now you're able to really break it down and go, you know what? I just look at some basic numbers. Isn't that crazy how management in sports is not necessarily sports guys per se. Sometimes they're number crunchers that just look at numbers. It's cold, hard facts. And that's how we rate whether a player is productive or not is trending upward or downward. But Syracuse averages 1.15 points per points per possession grades in the 93rd percentile. That's pretty good. That's really good is what that means. I mean, it's just a very good offense overall. And it's kind of funny because when we step back and we watch the game to the point I'm trying to make, sometimes you go, oh, man, what's going on there? But generally when you look at the big picture and you strip away the emotion and you just look at the cold, hard facts, those numbers at the end, you go, yeah, Syracuse is a good is a good offense. Well, I remember early in this season, too, we, I and lots of others talked about the three. And just what a big part of the game it is now and how we were going to need to hit threes. Well, we've actually kind of scaled back on that. We only hit one, I think, in the first half against Pittsburgh. We didn't hit that many against Virginia because they're great at defending it. And we got wins because we're scoring inside the arc. We're scoring in the paint. So last point on that, to back you up with numbers, 23.8% shooting from three against Pitt last Saturday, second lowest percentage Syracuse has hit from three-point range in a, in a win this season. There's the numbers. The lowest was uh, against, uh, I guess, uh, Virginia Tech. So the second lowest in a win was Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, the week before Pittsburgh. Sportsilla Show ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. I'd like to keep up with this conversation. I don't know if we're going to get to that subject. Scoop and I had a chance to talk to Jim Beheim, and we wanted to share that conversation with you now. Obviously, he has uh, quite an established relationship with Kobe Bryant, so let's do that. Jim, it's, it's a tough day for basketball fans, but for fathers, for, for anybody, really. I mean, it's just kind of a reality check. It's... It's tough to talk about anything else going on with the loss of Kobe Bryant. And I know you've talked about this in other places, but I'm sure maybe you've had some more thoughts or emotions or feelings or things you might want to well, mention about it's him. Been, it's been a tough two days. Uh, Kobe Bryant was not just a great, great player, which he was obviously top group of players of all time, but he was an iconic figure in his relationship uh, with the game of basketball and the city of Los Angeles for 20 years, uh, you know, he set a standard uh, for all players. I remember when he came to work with us in the Olympics, uh, LeBron and Carmelo, Chris Paul, those guys were young guys, 22, 23 years old. Kobe was a veteran, and he set a standard uh, for those guys um, that they had to really – Reach and he did it by his work ethic every day. He just came to work every single day and uh, never ever took a day off. Um, he he uh, was that kind of player. It was every play of every day of every practice. Nobody does that. Nobody. And he did it. And he showed people, showed the young players. And when it we did have a close game in the Olympics with Spain, two-point game. He's the one that took the ball and made the play to win the game. 
that's who he was. A dominant, dominant player and an unbelievable competitive player. He wanted to win every play of every game and every practice. And it impressed me. It left a lasting impression with me. Uh, He was a great father, really took care of his girls and his family. And uh, he's he will be missed. I I think the sadness I have even more so from losing Kobe as a player. Uh, what great things he would do! Really smart, driven guy. Uh, already won an Oscar. Uh, he would do. He would have done great, great things in the world uh, over the next four years. And you know, we'll, we lost that. So it'll be hard, hard to get past this. It's. Uh, we will. It's the nature of life. But uh, he—he was a great, one of the really great ones. It's the—it's the second act that we were all looking forward to. Yeah. I, I think one of the hardest things for me to rectify is you had mentioned his daughters. I have four yeah. daughters, and I have a four-year-old son. I have five children overall, and seeing him really, really embracing fatherhood. It, that's yeah. what's really hitting everybody. And then these seven other people that lost their lives, combinations yeah. of fathers and mothers and parents. And then and I thought about, you know, having to talk to you today about about basketball or about Kobe or about whatever. And I and then I read Buddy's tweet and I'm like, boy, from a father's perspective, he was so important to Buddy growing up, too. He, he was somebody that yeah. Buddy looked up to as well. In some degree, I, really that probably brought you guys, you and Buddy, together, Kobe. Yeah. Well, Buddy really looked up to Kobe. He had his jersey, and he met him at the, you know, when he was very young. He met him in in uh, China uh, when Buddy was uh, eight years old. And then he, again, in, in uh, London when he was 12, and he got to watch him practice and see him and say hello to him, talk to him. And uh, it was, you know, a great experience for Buddy and, and for Jimmy. But Buddy really always liked Kobe and the Lakers. That was his team and his guy. So, yeah, it's been a tough two days. And uh, we just have to remember the great things and what he brought and what he did for the game of basketball. You know, I'm thinking about that Phil Jackson quote, and forgive me if I butcher it, but Phil talked about, you know, Kobe's 100% being a little different than the other guys on the team, and I think that speaks to that hard work, that ethic that you've you've spoken yeah, of. Kobe was different. He was a loner. He would be by himself a lot. He went to every Olympic event by himself. Uh, he'd go all day and all night, and then he'd come play in our game. You know, it was like the game was an afterthought. He, he was at the Olympics for 12 hours a day, and every day, and then he would come to the game or come to practice, and you know, and and perform, but he loved the Olympics. He loved every part of it. He was uh, really he. He went to every. I mean, literally, I, I don't think there's an event he did not go to. And uh, that's what he was. He lived all out. He lived the whole way. Uh, he didn't leave in his forty one forty uh, one years. He he lived eighty. So you know he he lived it to the fullest. And uh, he set a standard for all of us and all basketball players and. Uh, he'll be remembered as long as they play the game of basketball. Jim, uh, then the last thing that we'll ask you today, yep. and we really appreciate the time and the wisdom. Uh, you got to have that Mamba mentality. You got to move on. You got to strive to be great. And you do have a basketball game to play yep, tomorrow. We'll be ready to play. And Clemson's a great team. And every game in this league's tough. And we'll be ready to go down there. And simple as that. Yeah, Let's go. It's, it's one of those ones where it's kind of tough to talk about anything else. And thanks again for the time. We'll talk to you next week.
Thanks, guys. So we're going to come right back, and uh, we're going to talk to a good friend of the SportsZilla Show. His name is Tim Roy. He has called basketball games play-by-play announcer for the Golden State Warriors for the entirety of Kobe Bryant's career out in, obviously, the West Coast in the Western Conference. So we'll talk to him next on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. So we are privileged and honored, in my humble opinion, to welcome longtime voice of the Golden State Warriors, who got to start in central New York at Utica College, but for the better part of three decades has had a really unique perspective in the subject that we brought him on to talk about. And it's, I mean, inescapable at this point, about the unfortunate, tragic, and sad passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, I mean, you call this entire career every time... The Lakers played against the Warriors. Now, I'm sure you have a unique perspective and probably plenty of thoughts that you'd be uh, willing to share with us, Tim. Yeah, you know, it's, first of all, you know, the first and foremost, it's just sad. And, you know, it's, it's not just, um, you know, the Vanessa and the family, the Bryant family and, you know, his mom and dad and everything else. It's just, um, you know, the families, that other families that were impacted, you know, their lives have, have been changed you know, forever in an instant and not in a good way. And so um, that, that part of it is, is heartbreaking, you know, when you're, especially when you're a parent and you think about the fact that, you know, the, the kids on that, that, that helicopter, you know, never got a chance to, you know, get their college degree, never got a chance to get married, never got a chance to do all the things we take for granted in life. And, and, and so that that's the first thing that, that hit me, though, that the families that are impacted and they'll be impacted forever, you know, with questions of why, why did this have to happen? So that was the first thing. And then, you know, you think about uh, the fact that there was a person on the helicopter that was kind of larger than life. And to me, it was the, the pictures you see and they show him with his daughter and, and, you know, that's a different Kobe Bryant than the one we saw in, in the association. You know, we saw the driven, determined guy who, who walked around with that scowl on his face because he wanted to, you know, cut your heart out in a basketball way. You know, that guy that was so driven, so intense, so competitive, and so such a perfectionist. And now to see him be sort of chill and smiling, you know, you got a better sense of the man, you know, than you did when, when you were, you know, broadcasting games. So, but... You know, the, the the he had so much that he wanted to do, and it was very public about it after his playing days were over. That uh, you know, it's kind of sad. You were kind of hoping to see what you know the benefits of all that could could end up being. Tim Roy, the longtime voice of Golden State Warriors, here with us on the Sports Illustrated Show on ESPN Radio. Tim, what was your favorite interaction with Kobe Bryant? Favorite interaction was um, uh, in Hawaii. We were there for a preseason game. And so it wasn't the grind of the regular season just yet. Everybody's excited about the start of the year, and you're in Hawaii. You know, I mean, how could you not be happy there? And we just kind of bumped into him, you know, uh, out and about in Honolulu in one of those marketplaces. And, you know, he kind of walked over and said hi, and we just talked for a second. And, and But he was very, uh, you know, he was asking, how do you think you guys are going to be this year? And he was asking about the, one of our colleagues, Jim Barnett, about – how many years he'd been doing the the television and 
so it um you know it was it was a nice little interaction and it was uh good to see him outside of the arena if you will and and so that that was the the one part and then you know just watching how many times in in games where you know to say the the warriors in my case would come back and they you know cut it to a six point lead against those great laker teams and you think you got a chance cuz they we had a lot of good battles in Oakland. The Warriors didn't fare well in Los Angeles too much, but in Oakland we had a lot of really competitive games with the Lakers and, and upset them a couple of times. And so, uh, you know, and then then in a lot of those games, Kobe would just take over, and, and all of a sudden, you know, he'd hit some shot with a shot clock buzzer sounding, and the defense was perfect. He was just better. And so, um, you know, the, the, those are kind of the moments you remember about how, how good he was. You know, you talked about how that was a different kind of Kobe in the association, and you used that phrase, cut your heart out, and I'm pretty sure uh, that was almost exactly what Kobe said before the Lakers had to face the 76ers, and he was returning home to Philadelphia, and he, he told the fans there, he said, look, I'm coming back to cut your heart out, fans. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know, he wound up going there for the All-Star game after that and getting booed by Philadelphia fans. You know, just a, a fierce competitor. And is there any moment in his career, either when they were, the Lakers were playing the Warriors or, or any of the championships, what are the moments that really stand out to you when you think of Kobe Bryant over his career? Well, I, he hit it. Uh, there was one night against the Warriors where – Antoine Jamison scored 50, and then Kobe scored 50. It was the first time he had scored 50 or more in his career. And that was a game where both those guys were just locked in back and forth. Antoine would get a bucket. Kobe would come down and get a bucket. And and that was uh, so uh, entertaining and unbelievable all in the same sense. But I go back to, I think it might have been his last championship. I think it was, I, if I, you know, memory's a little fuzzy. I didn't look this up or anything, but... I remember the game seven against Boston, and I'm pretty sure Kobe was not having a good day. He just couldn't get anything going, and, and shots weren't falling, and they were, you know, they were trapping him. And then the fourth quarter, his teammates got going, and he kind of, instead of being the, you know, I think an, a younger Kobe would have demanded the ball and tried to take over, even though he wasn't playing well. But I think the older Kobe said, okay, hey, these guys got going. I'm going to set them up. I think Sasha Vujicic had like a big fourth quarter, and and uh, L.A. came back and won and won the title. And that, to me, was really impressive because it just showed me he, the maturity of, of the ball player that he said, okay, this afternoon is not my day, but we can still win this game if I help these other guys. And that, that left a, an impression on me because that's – that's hard for a guy, for a superstar, a guy who's always demanded and wanted that pressure. Uh, that's hard for them to do sometimes, to step back and let other guys, you know, step forward. So we're on the phone with Tim Roy, longtime voice of the Golden State Warriors here on the Sports Hill Show with ESPN Radio. Now, we can go online and we can look at every individual team and their social media accounts and some video of some guys coaches, players reacting to the news. And it's pretty obvious what the reaction is from everybody at, the, at this just horrific tragedy that's still not really completely sunk in. I mean, that's just speaking from my perspective. But you you flew with the team to Philadelphia, which is where you are right now, getting ready for a game against the 76ers. 
And I know there's a lot of conversations that will happen on the team plane, many of them to a man, and they'll never leave that plane. They're private conversations. But what are some of the the recollections that you have of the mood of the team and, and the guys in general? Because I'm sure it's changed everybody's demeanor. It wasn't a typical flight. I'm sure it was the most surreal flight you guys have ever been on, even with everything the Golden State Warriors have been through over the last handful of years. Especially with the younger players idolizing Kobe. But but it's a it's a slightly different team this year also with what Golden State's been going through. For the first time the team has struggled. And then you compound that with something like like this news about Kobe. I just wonder what the feeling was from your perspective. Well, you know, it was a very, it wasn't a, a boisterous flight, put it that way. It was For a quiet sure. flight. But, you know, at um you know, the other thing, the blessing and the curse of the NBA is that the schedule doesn't wait, you know. So even even though it was a quiet flight, there was a lot of work being done because, you know, coaches had to get ready, broadcasters had to get ready. And so there was a lot of work being done on the flight, but it wasn't like people were laughing and joking. And, and it was more, I, I still think we that as a group, we're probably still pretty much in shock yeah. about it all. Because you know Sunday was a numbing day. Sunday was the day I was going to take it easy and 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 you know pack at a leisurely pace. And I didn't start packing till nine o'clock at night before our longest trip of the year because I was just you know numb and glued to the television like everybody else. And so uh, yeah, I, I think I think on the whole, uh, pretty much in shock. And I think I think this will be good tonight because. There'll be obviously a little bit more of a heartfelt uh, and and you know genuine ceremony here because he he's from here he's from Lower Marion High School about twelve miles northwest of the city here in Philadelphia that's where the Warriors are playing and so I, I think I think it'll be good because I think after tonight I think they'll they'll have to put it behind them for a while because they have games to play and, and a good chunk of the second half of the season but I. I Gonna be a it's gonna be a weird week in the association. I don't think you're gonna see a lot of uh, chest thumping this week. Have you been by the Wells Fargo Center yet? Because I'm pretty sure I saw it on Twitter last night, lit up in purple and gold. I know a lot of the arenas are doing that. I think I saw Liberty Bell in purple. Have you been by there yet, or did you just get there? Well, we got there. Uh, we got here last night, and uh, you know the airport. You have to literally drive by the arena to get to downtown. And so, yeah, we did see it. And you, from the uh, restaurant here at the hotel, which is like on the 60th floor, uh, it's got views all over the place. You could see it off in the distance there in purple and gold. So, yeah, and there were there were a couple of downtown buildings that were lit up in purple as well. So I think you know it. Um, you know they 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 claim him. He's one of their own. You know he's one of the number of great players ever to come here from uh, from Philadelphia. Tim, I have to ask with the Super Bowl this Sunday. Obviously, I expect a certain answer from you, but who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Boy, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people are thinking because I think uh, I think the whole Super Bowl depends on on what happens with the Niners' defensive line. If they are able to contain Mahomes and get pressure on him and make him uncomfortable, I think the Niners win. But if they can't contain Mahomes and he gets to, you know, when the play's breaking down, he gets that eight-yard eight, eight, eight yard gain for a first down when you thought you had him, uh, you know, that's that's kind of disheartening to a defense, and I think that's going to be a, a big deal. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm really not sure who's going to win. I, I, 
I would think the Niners, and, and obviously, you know, being a Bay Area announcer, you got to kind of lean that way. But on the other hand, I look at the Chiefs, and, and the problem for the Niners with the Chiefs is that the Niners could be up 17 nothing in the middle of the second quarter and go in, you know, to the locker room tied, you know, um, because the Chiefs can score that quickly. Uh, you know, you, you, you're one missed tackle on Hill, and he's gone. And so uh, – so I, I, I'm still a toss-up. I, I guess I'll have a better answer later in the week, but I hadn't really, you know, really put it to heart, and especially with the events of the weekend. Yeah, that's the thing. You share the Bay, the Bay Area, and and yet the news of Kobe has just made the Super Bowl of all things, which dominates the conversation and afterthought for the yeah. past few days. I, I've literally had to remind myself a couple of times that. Oh yeah, this that's this Sunday. That's just now yeah. a handful of days away. It's just a it's just a, a tragic tragic situation, but we appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk to us and and recollect a few memories with us. Grateful for the time as always. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Tim Roy, voice of the Golden State Warriors, nice enough to join us to reflect on Kobe Bryant, the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Burdick Lexus, Burdick BMW basketball post game. You can join Seth Everett and Roosevelt Bowie, and they're going to recap SU Clemson tonight. They'll take your calls and bring you Coach Bayheim's press conference after the game. And then Seth Everett and Eric Devendorf are going to take care of you after the Duke game. Same thing applies. Sportzilla show ready to lighten the mood. It's been a heavy few days. A lot of conversation about Kobe Bryant. So I thought we could give you something to maybe make you smile a little bit. If you're an Astros fan, <laughs> which I don't think anybody's on that bandwagon right now. Even a lot of Astros fans are like, yeah, I'm not happy with what the team was doing, but. All over Twitter, social media, there are reports out there. It's not official yet. Am I correct, Nick Ailes? You're correct. No official signing of the contract, but they're getting close. They're working on it. Tell everybody, Scoop, who may be the next manager of the Houston Astros. He's trending on Twitter, Dusty Baker. And, you know, we had talked previously about how he would be a good fit for this with all the questions that reporters will be having pre- and post-game. He can protect... Uh, the, the Astros players from some of those questions because, look, they've largely gotten away scot-free for their cheating uh, that these players have. So he can be the guy in between. He's handled these sort of controversies before. Uh, Sammy Sosa, for crying out loud, Barry Bonds, he's managed them through the steroid area uh, era. We talked about him coining the term uh, steroid McCarthyism back in the day. Boy, he follows the drama around, or he's kind of right there on the front lines of it, isn't he? When you really break it down and condense it and look at it like that. Dusty can handle himself, man. He really can. He's it, he's always been good with press and really better than a lot of managers. He's good at that. You know, it's, it's something, it's a strong suit of his, great skill set he has. And look, there's some guys out there in, in the coaching ranks I'm thinking of Bill Belichick right now, who just, they, you, they look like they'd rather be doing anything else. And Dusty seems to be comfortable in that moment. Yeah, he'd rather have somebody gouge his eyes out than actually be in front of the press. Marshawn yeah. Lynch, of course, is a player. That's a perfect example. He was there because he didn't want to get fined. But that leaves one team that still doesn't have their manager in place, and you're really getting close a couple weeks before spring training. 
because Luis Rojas, uh, a lot of the players wanted him, and he was named the manager after they got rid of Carlos Beltran for the Astros cheating scandal. He's the new manager for the New York Mets. So that one team is Nick Ailes, one team that's left without a manager. Who's who's rumored out there for the Red Sox? Well, there's a, there's a couple choices right now. There's uh, nothing really concrete to come out of this. Uh, Mike Lowell. The guy, former Red Sox third baseman. Former Marlin, a short time a Yankee. That's true. He said he'd take the job for a year if Alex Cora can get it back when he's gone. Jason Veritek, former Red Sox catcher, his name's in the ring. He's um, been discussed by the Red Sox faithful for a number of years because he's just a very respected guy in the clubhouse. Yeah, I was talking to a, a friend of mine on, on my show yesterday. It was a big Red Sox guy. and he's um, He said that he doesn't really want Veritek because, just because he... Um, knows pretty much Boston's reputation that they're not going to have a short leash with whoever's their manager because they loved Cora. So I don't know. You got to get the right guy here. Yeah, it, it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky thing to determine who is the right balance of everything that they need to handle Boston. That's another tough market to manage. That's a more negative fan base and with a shorter fuse, I think, than even the Yankees fans. And as one, I'll even admit that that's true. Sometimes Yankees fans can be ridiculous. Red Sox fans. You just sit there sometimes and you go, really? What? Are you serious with that? A lot of nonsense comes out of Massachusetts. Yeah? Yeah, All I right. agree so. So let's uh, move on. We have to switch gears. I want to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit because I'm going to be the first to admit to you here on the Sports Illa Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1 that with everything and all of the news about Kobe, I almost forgot. Like For a couple I, days, I didn't forget, but I just... It went to the back burner, and it it's really it really has. I mean, when you mentioned that earlier, I just flash back to previous Super Bowls, and I can't remember a time when it was so back burner when something pushed it to just the background, and it really has been in the background. Yet it's days away here, and normally you'd be hearing all this hype about the commercials. You know, there would be talk at home about what are we getting to eat? You know, there'd be plans about the food made, and it's just such an afterthought right now. Obviously, we'll start paying a little bit more attention to it. Everybody's going to kind of take a – I think some people are going to use it as a a day to escape from their feelings about Kobe Bryant. And, I mean, a lot of NBA players are probably going to be like, you know what, I'd like to focus on something else, especially if you're – you're in that world existing well, in that realm. If it's a better game than last year, you know, it, it'll be a nice escape. If it's last year's game, you know, I keep away the razor blades. So Chiefs offense against the Niners defense. That seems to be the overwhelming narrative of what will determine this game. Obviously, I'm being very general. Howard Cross was talking about the 49ers pass rush. So you look at all these great QBs. Jim Kelly struggled in the Super Bowl. Kerry Collins. You think about Rich Gannon the year that he won the MVP as well. You know, yes, Mahomes, you should go in there with confidence that maybe he can p- perform well, but you just never know. Defense and everybody has a idea how they think it's going to go until you get hit. And if they can get to Mahomes early in the game, it could change the, t- you know, the total direction of him, you know, being behind and trying to press. There you go. And you're going to see and hear incessant coverage of the game, obviously, and it's going to be broken down to the most minute of details. If you're a 49ers or a Chiefs fan, you're emotionally invested in this. And everybody else kind of has a team that you're going to root for for whatever reasons. But one of the most important aspects of the game is the food. We all know this. Chips and dip, 
Is that the number one food? Is it beer? Is that the number one drink? You'd be surprised. See, now I would have thought beer is. I'm not, and I'm not big on chips and dip, but I know how people love it. So it wouldn't surprise me if chips and dips is number one. Chips and dip is number one. Wings two, pizza three, nachos four, cheese and crackers. I've never had cheese and crackers at a Super Bowl party in my life. It's, well, that's in the, that's almost like chips and dip to me. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of in the same category. Like, there's a, a platter of I stuff to stick crackers in, I don't basically. think chips and dip are really food. No. It's not really food. Like, a burger is food. Chip. It's a chip. It, it's, a, it's a snack. It was a, like they shaved a potato. You put it out on the table, it's like, and then people graze. Like, we're like, we're like bovine. We're like cows. We just kind of walk in there. Just, just going to walk through the kitchen and grab a chip on the way and... As a broke college student, I can tell you that a chip is most definitely a food, and it has been my dinner. <laughs> Are you a ramen noodles guy? No. I'm in the worst position because I am probably the pickiest eater ever, and I have no money. So, it's, whew, it's Well, you tough. can get an actual potato. So what's the, wait, what's the, what's the go-to chip that you have for dinner? The go-to chip depends on the night, but if I had to pick any chip, probably a Dorito. Okay. Dorito's just... Where's that? Well, they are, they are addictive. Now, Doritos are addictive. The next thing you know, the bag is half gone. If I opened a bag, I could house a bag of Doritos watching the Super Bowl. But, I, you know, I always feel horribly guilty and say to myself, you just ate a half a bag of something that is not really food. What are your sides if you go in on some Doritos as your main course for dinner? Ah, it's tough. I mean... Probably more Doritos. Yeah. I'm going to have Doritos <laughs> with a side of Doritos yeah. <laughs> and a side of Doritos. And then your before, better, after dinner snack is then the rest the, of the Doritos. The rest of the Doritos. Doritos for dinner. That sounds like a punk rock song title right there. I would be lying if I said I haven't done things like that at points in my life, though, because I was also a poor college student at one point. That's funny. Cookies, burgers, meatballs, tacos, and ice cream is big in there. I can see that they all have ice cream during the Super Bowl at my house. But as far as your beverages, soda is actually the number one overall. Okay, I mean, that makes sense, I guess. Beer is number two. Iced tea, wine, and then whiskey. That's oh. how it ranks as America's favorite foods and or beverages for Super Bowl Sunday. Wine is fine, but liquor is quicker. Pat Mahomes has overtaken Tom Brady to have the best-selling NFL jersey. Many of you may be aware of that. And as far as prop bets go, and we can break some of these down further. We've done it previously a few days ago. We'll do it again. But one I have to point out, there's a sports book that will let you bet on whether San Francisco 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan will blow a 28-3 to lead again. He did that in Super Bowl 51. He was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons when the Patriots came back and beat them. Shanahan has 101 to blow another, is 101 to blow another 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl. Seems like the odds should be bigger than that, but they're not a $100 bet. If that happens, we'll pay you $10,000. See, now that was an entertaining Super Bowl. That was. They were up huge. Remember, it was Lady Gaga halftime. Mm-hmm. I was actually at a bar watching that game, and I was like, oh, this game stinks. Lady Gaga comes on. I watch that. I go home, and then I wasn't watching. And then my phone starts blowing up. And you're like, uh-oh. There comes, then I flipped it back on, and then I was totally invested. I was, all right, okay, I'm back into it now. 
couple members of the Syracuse Crunch participated last night in the home of the Ontario Reign in the AHL All-Star Game and a few other things that we want to toss out at you before we get you on the block at four with Brent X. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Watch Syracuse Duke with Eric Devendorf and Roosevelt Bowie. All you have to do is tune into Q Sports Talk on Twitch. While you watch the game on TV or listen on TK99, Brother Station, pull up twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk to hear live reaction from Syracuse legends Roosevelt Bowie and Eric Devendorf. It's Saturday, 745, a Syracuse Duke watch party only on twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. You can subscribe. You can watch the Sportzilla Show. You can watch On the Block with Brent Axe, Centers of Attention, Seth Everett, Orange Nation, and obviously so much more. Subscribe. we got all sorts of great content up there for you. Alex Barry Boulay and Cam Gauntz participated in the HL All-Star Game last day in the home of the Ontario Reign. They represented well. A couple of other paper transactions. The Tampa Bay Lightning have recalled Mitchell Stevens and Luke Shen from the Syracuse Crunch. Uh, let's see. Jimmy Huntington was reassigned to Syracuse. Uh, Zach Fukali was loaned to Orlando. We had covered all that. Just wanted to keep you updated as there is a few days off for the AHL All-Star break for the Hughes fans. Brogan Rafferty uh, participated for the Utica Comets. And Reed Boucher, who is the leading scorer, the only player in the first half with 50 points of the Utica Comets, uh, due to a little injury, he was unable to play. But I bring those two teams up because the Delmonico Steakhouse-sponsored Galaxy Cup is up for grabs out there. They've played five times. There's still a handful of games, six or seven more to go on the season. The next matchup between those two teams in that three-way throwdown is February 8th. Those are always fun. Syracuse Utica fans, uh, they chirp each other, to use a hockey term, and some. Yeah, in person at the arena and online, like on Twitter and Facebook and anywhere else they can. If you're a hockey fan, the language is usually very reminiscent of what Billy Joe Armstrong did when Green Day performed at the NHL All-Star Game. So I was it, it's watching, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I was watching Green Day on that, and it was funny. Like I, The sound just kept dropping out, and I'm like, you know, off the air, you know, I've been known to engage in a little salty language. But I was like, God, how much is he swearing for crying out loud? I mean, it, was, it would just go silent. And I'm like, how long of a swear word is this? You ever see the movie? You ever see the movie Half Baked, where he's like, yeah. "You and you and you yeah. and you and you're cool," and you too. It was similar to that. We are about to get you on the block, as promised, with Brent Axe. Don't forget Twitch.tv/slash Q Sports Talk to watch the Axe Man. I'm sure he's going to have a nice discussion about SU Clemson tonight. Sports Hill Show back tomorrow at three. ESPN Radio ninety-seven point seven and one hundred point one.